Good afternoon, everybody. It's Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined as always for our weekly uh, weekly show by Paul Zeiss for the Zeiss is Right video. Paul, how are you? I'm good. Adam, are you as uh, excited and pumped as I was the other day for the Tyson Badgett story? I mean, how do you not love some nobody from nowhere, from Shepherd's uh, University, coming out and, and, and Wally Pipping, Justin Fields, and, and by, by winning a game for the Bears. And then you read the kid's backstory. I, that, to me, is the best story of the NFL season so far. Tyson Badgett, same high school, by the way, as Kevin Pitsnoggle. I don't know if you remember Kevin Pitsnoggle, the oh my God. West Virginia basketball legend, the Basically, the hillbilly, you know, that, that that went back and he's like a math teacher now or something like that. Same high school as that produced Kevin Pitsnoggle, produced this Tyson Badgett guy. I mean, you know, his dad is a, a world-class arm wrestler that does a CrossFit business. <laughs> I went on his uh, website and, you know, he sells CBD products and things of the such. His nickname is The Beast. I didn't want to start. Uh, I didn't want to give you that, but uh, I, I'm just so excited about that story. I, it's the best story of the year for me. But go ahead, let's talk about the Steelers. Yeah, one of these days the Steelers will have a story like that, and um, I guess I guess Doc Hodges was the Steelers' version of that, right? Yes, I know. But Doc Hodges, just watching uh, the Bears game and looking at this guy's stats, Doc Hodges was never as good as this guy is. Well. <laughs> Maybe someday he will be. We'll see. <laughs> um, Paul, I wanted, I do want to talk some Steelers with you, um, get into that, talk about Kenny Pickett's receivers specifically. That's our favorite pet topic on, on your show and my show here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube page. Before we do, just want to remind you, this show is uh, brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, I wrote in my PFF grades post that I do every week on postgazette.com, just kind of a weekly recap of you know what grades, what interesting grades Steelers got on ProFootballFocus.com. Um, you know uh, the the focus of my article was kind of Allen Robinson and Calvin Austin the third, who've really become pretty invisible the last few weeks. Calvin Austin caught that big touchdown in the Las Vegas Raiders win, but pretty much since then the two of them have have gone kind of gone dark. Uh, Sixty eight receiving yards total between the two in three games. Um, I think they have seven yards after the catch total. So even when they are getting the ball, they're really not doing much with it. Um, at what point do we start to turn the focus to them for why this offense seems to, you know, be able to succeed late with a couple, you know, deep passes to George Pickens, Deontay Johnson got involved this week. But if you only have one or two legit receivers, Paul, doesn't it make it hard for Pickens and Johnson to, to do what they need to do? Doesn't it make it hard on Kenny Pickett? Um, and, and when do we start talking about these depth receivers as a problem for this offense? Well, uh, you and I have been talking about it for six months now. And, of course, there were a lot of people that didn't like what we had to say, and they disagreed, and I got emails, and I know you got you know emails, and on the, on the, uh, the chat we've had people uh, argue with us. But here's the thing. Last week with Deontay Johnson back should have been a week that Calvin Austin went crazy, right? Because uh, now he's, you know, we, we, we keep hearing about how, uh, he's got all this ability and this wiggle and the speed and all this other stuff. Shouldn't he have had a big a couple of chunk plays 
last week with Deontay Johnson back. Um, it hasn't happened. Maybe it will. Maybe a couple of weeks from now we'll be saying, wow, boy, Calvin Austin now has really settled in and become a big weapon. Uh, Allen Robinson is exactly what we thought he was. Like, why is anyone even surprised? Listen, he made a pretty big play uh, the other day, right? Right before the 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 the, uh, the um, quarterback sneak uh, that sealed the game that probably didn't make the first down marker, but they got a good spot. The, the play right before that, I think it was Allen Robinson, caught like a seven or eight-yard pass, right? He ran a little route, caught the pass, and, and, and set that play up, I think, right? He did. He had one catch for seven yards, though, Paul. Exactly. In, that, in the Baltimore what... win, it was five catches for 29 yards, and then against Houston, it was uh, one catch for eight. And all of these are kind of short plays. Um, I think the, well, the game he had five catches, he averaged 5.8 yards a catch. It's starting to feel like uh, Ryan Switzer reloaded here. Well, that's what he is. I mean, that's what we said. But but again, that's what I said he would be. At the beginning of the year, I said, if they get 400 yards and say four or five touchdowns out of Allen Robinson, they will have squeezed every single thing they could get out of him. You know, and it looks like he's on pace for what, about 300 yards, maybe 280 yards, 300 yards. Um, you know, but I'm not surprised. That's why I said when you sign a guy like him, you know what he should be? Your sixth receiver who's a depth guy, who doesn't play unless, you know, somebody gets hurt, who maybe, you you know, occasionally because he runs a good route, he's smart, he's crafty, all the other cliches, you put him in on third down here and there, you know, where just exactly that that situation where he can run a six, seven, eight-yard route, get himself open. But that's what he is. He should be receiver six, not receiver three. And Calvin Austin is a guy who, you know, I mean, he's young, so I'll continue to be open-minded uh, that, you know, what we've seen in camp from time to time could actually become who he is. But I have a sneaking suspicion that he's going to be a guy that we're probably going to be underwhelmed with pretty much his entire career. Uh, and the other part of it is, Adam, if you remember part of the reason, well, you know, he's going to do a whole lot in that, you know, jet sweep package. Uh, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, has he run a single jet sweep this year? Maybe once. I can't even think about it once. I, maybe once. I, I, I'm just saying. I think he had a carry on Sunday. Um, yeah, he had one carry for one yard. He had one carry against Houston for five yards, and he had one carry against Cleveland for minus two. That's it. <laughs> that's the whole. That's the whole thing. So that's. Let me see if my, uh, uh, my my math is correct. That's three carries for four yards. Something like that, yeah. The, the ultimate weapon. I mean, again, that's 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 my point. My point is, we we I said they needed a third option, and frankly, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they went out and got a third option. I don't know how they would pull it off. I don't know if there's guys available for trade. I don't know. But last year, you know what? I guess, you know, you could say last year the Bears were able to trade for Chase Claypool. Maybe maybe there's somebody out there that's like that, that's got, you know, ability, that maybe is disgruntled or they're not being used right or whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, in my mind at least, this, especially because Deontay Johnson, you know, got banged up. It's a, it's a brutal game. 
receivers get hurt a lot. It's it's a tough position to keep guys healthy after 16 or 17 games because it's such a tough position. I'm just saying, to me, I think that this is their biggest weakness. I've said it. It's come to fruition so far. And unless they one of those guys develops as a third option, I mean, here's the scary thing. Who's option five? Is it Miles Boykin, probably? I don't even know who option five is. That's the scary thing. Well, you you led into my next question well, Paul, which is, I mean, uh, how can you go into the season with, like, those guys at three and four, yes, but really no one interesting if, if you know, five, six, four, five, six. Um, they just it's, – it's not only do you not have the impact at, at that, like, second level of your receiver group, but you don't have that, like um, – you know, like rookie guy, that undrafted free agent who, you know, could add some sizzle. Who's that guy that was came from the XFL? I forget. It was it Hakeem Butler. Was that his name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was like six, seven or something ridiculous. Right. I would find him more useful, even if he's not very good, just because he's something different than what they have in that room compared to all of these, like, you know, special team, special teamers. That's what they are. They're using, they're using the, the receiver's room to, to, staff the special teams unit rather than the other way around. And, and it, I just, I wonder how you can do that in today's NFL. Well, and that's, you know, what speaks to Adam in the off season, what they did, they emphasized, they focused on what building the running game. That's what they did. They went out and got linemen, right? They went out and drafted a lineman and a big tight end, right? When that's what your emphasis is, and that that's when your focus is, and then you say, "Oh yeah, well, oh by the way, we need to get this veteran receiver, Allen Robinson." You know who? Who again? I I mean, I could have told you what you were going to get from him. Um, in fact, I did tell you what you were going to get from him, uh, which I'm okay if he's receiver six, you know, but not when he's receiver three. That's that's a bad thing. So you know, they talked all about. You know, and it's clear they wanted to be a running team that, that wins with defense. Where did all their resources go? In the running game and their defense. <laughs> and so uh, nobody should be surprised by what's happening here. Nobody should be surprised that this is where we're at with it because this is how they set it up. And 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 so, you know, I think that um, the offensive scheme is what it is. You know, I thought the play calling was better on Sunday. I think Kenny Pickett gets better a little bit each week. You know, we see a little bit more from him every week. But I, I if, if you don't get better receivers, I mean, I think there's going to be a ceiling to what he can be. Yeah, I think, Paul, that's the thing that, that, that bothers me is that, you know, you're, you're kind of stacking the deck against your own quarterback. Lamar Jackson, I, I wrote about it in my uh, questions post on that gets posted on Monday morning. He had nine targets uh, that he was able to complete passes to on, on Sunday, and the Ravens looked great offensively. Kenny Pickett, I think, needs needs more of those options. Um, and, and I think the most frustrating part about Calvin Austin and Allen Robinson right now is they they didn't do much when Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth were off the field. You know, you would think that they'd be able to step up as they'd be stepping into like the second and third um, options kind of roles because you only had George Pickens out there. They didn't produce there, and, and now what are they going to do with, with those guys coming, you know, hopefully in Friermuth's case, back to the lineup? Um, and the tight ends, too. I just wanted to mention that quickly before we wrap up this this receiver discussion. I mean, they're non-entities in this offense, too, Paul. I think if you had a, a, 
reliable tight end, if you were using Pat Fryermuth like Mark Andrews or something, then you could say, okay, well, maybe you don't have the best receivers, but you got a tight end that you're you're hooking up with consistently and who's making impact for you. We're not seeing that. And when Mike Tomlin was asked about it, he basically said, and it's a matchup league. We don't have that advantage in, in some of these games, so the tight ends don't get the ball. Again, that, that doesn't seem sustainable to me if Kenny Pickett can only throw to two guys and defenses know exactly where the ball's going at crunch time. Especially since you basically just admitted you can't scheme. <laughs> you can't out-scheme some defenses, which is incredible to me. Uh, that's an incredible admission. You're basically saying, you know what, uh, defenses are dictating to us what we can do, which I'm sure to some degree there is that, but if you can't scheme uh, your tight end open from time to time, that probably is the biggest indictment of your offensive coordinator that you, that, we, that we any of us could come up with. Paul, I want to get into a couple other Steelers topics. Uh, Mike Tomlin's comments this week. Um, he the one first one that stuck out to me is he called Patrick Peterson quote essentially Cam Sutton in the way they use him in the slot, move him around, um, versatility. The problem I had with that, Paul, and we talked about this a little bit on our live stream Sunday, is he's not as good as Cam Sutton. I looked at Cam Sutton's got a pretty solid pro football focus grade. He's he's making a lot more money. He's a better player. The Steelers went with the lesser player, and I think they're paying for it. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, Cam, didn't we we didn't we look at their salaries the other day? Like yeah, it was a four million dollar per year spread. Right, four million dollar per year spread. Um, I thought I think maybe they they thought they were getting something different when they got Patrick Peterson. You know, I think they thought he could still play. Which, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that he can't still play. <laughs> and uh, and I, think, me, I, I said this in the stream, Paul. I think he can play if you're deploying him in the right situations, but not if you're running him out there on an every down basis. I, th right, I think not, they're running him down. Not when he's QB1. I mean, not when he's CB1 or whatever we want to, you know, those, those stupid phrases now we use. Not when he's CB1. Uh, to me, again, they probably thought they were getting a better version of Patrick Peterson. And obviously, Tomlin's not going to throw him under the bus. But the big the big deal is there is, you know what? Um, they paid so much money to other positions that they probably felt like 11 million bucks a year for a corner right now is a luxury they can't afford. Well, corner is probably the most important position on 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 the field besides your your rush ends in this defense. And so to me, um, as good as Minka Fitzpatrick is, is if you were going to tell me, listen, you have a choice to, you know, have – what was the kid from Virginia Tech that was their safety of first-round pick? That Terrell was, Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds. To have a Terrell Edmonds type back there, right, but you're going to get a Jalen Ramsey type or whatever at corner. Or would you rather have Minka Fitzpatrick, right, and a, and a, and a, and a basically an average corner? Every single day of every single week, I'm going to take. I'm going to spend the money on the corner, but they didn't do that. They spent it on a safety. And again, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick's really good. But I will say this about Minka Fitzpatrick: when he's really good, he's a high impact player. There's long stretches where he's invisible, and so well, there's, you know, there's there's long stretches, Paul, where he's being forced to make up for other shortcomings. Right. And then you limit the impact. I mean, we've been saying that for years. It's like when Minka Fitzpatrick's allowed to do the things that he wants to do and can do and what he's great at, 
he, I think he's worth every and every penny. But if you're weak at the positions, if he needs to creep up and run support, well, he's not as good a you or as useful a player. Even if he's objectively good, he's just not useful the way you're deploying him. It's it's kind of the same thing I'm saying about Patrick Peterson is they're not putting these guys in in positions to be their best. No, no, and that's the thing about it. But again, I, you don't you, you put Joey Porter out there as your as your top corner. I think it probably changes everything just because he's a guy that's got upside. He's likely to get better. He's likely to improve. You know, we're so concerned about winning and grinding out every single win every single week. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that you're necessarily giving yourself the best chance to really be good down the stretch because he's a guy that should be playing. And then you figure out between the other two, who's better in the slot and, you know, who's better uh, on the outside, and you go from there. Uh, but to me, the only way you get better in the NFL on defense is by playing. It's it's unfortunate, but because of the CBA and because of all the rules and this, that, and everything, the number of padded practices they have where you're playing reasonably at full speed is literally less than 10. I know that the, the CBA allows like 11 or 12 or something like that, but most teams don't even come close to that number. Um, and even when they're in pads, they don't tackle. You know, they hit a little bit. You know, they do the thud thing, but they don't put take people to the ground and all that other stuff. They don't play full-speed football. The only way you get better is by playing on Sundays. So, to me, you know, the idea that somehow Patrick Peterson is as good as Cam Sutton, well, no, he isn't. And, and, and I think it's very definitively no, he isn't. And and here's the thing that's a little bit scary. It ain't like Cam Sutton was Deion Sanders either out there. Um, but, but again, you compare them to what they have now, and it's kind of like, well, you know, actually he was, he, he was actually pretty competent compared to what we're watching right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you there. Paul, I know you wanted to talk about Mike Tomlin's comments kind of about their identity and, and how um, he doesn't care as much about stats, you know, either his team's stats or the other team's stats against his defense uh, as long as they're winning, and, and right now they're winning. Um, I know you had some thoughts on, on those comments, so I'm just going to let you let you go well, on that. Well, well, it's along those lines. You know, the question was, was posed to him, like opposing receivers have – some absurd amount of you know yards against the corners against their corners in other words their their corners are losing the matchups badly and you know he went into this this rant well, you know he, he basically did the condescending thing where it's a it's a you guys kind of stat you know what i mean or yeah i'm not i forget exactly what he said but i'm not into you guys as you know your your stats or something like that and then he basically was, oh, you know, as we uh, as we go through the journey and we keep winning games, you know, those little details will clean up and, you know, they'll get better and all this other stuff. Uh, that doesn't sound sustainable to me. Uh, because at the end of the day, if your receivers are getting toasted, or I mean, if your corners are getting toasted by opposing receivers every week, eventually they're not going to drop passes. I mean, the Steelers have to be leading the, the league in opponent drop passes. Uh, but you can't let guys run free every week. I mean, uh, you know, Cooper Cup last week probably dropped more passes in that game than he will the rest of the year. You know, he was running wide open. And, yeah, I, I get it. 
part of their model is the guys up front are going to get pressure and, and that's going to help their corners and that's going to help in coverage. But, you know, it, it can't be every single time they block those guys that, you know, it's a, it's a pitch and catch because eventually you play good teams or you play teams that are, are, are that, that, that aren't, that aren't going to drop passes. You're going to give up big play after big play after big play. And, 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 you know, at that point, I, again, it's just, it's one of those things that it's not sustainable. There are a lot of stats that I find to be very much, uh, what, how, how would I say this? Very much overrated, but receivers running free through your secondary and having lots of yards against your corners. That's not something that is, is, is irrelevant. You know, uh, we've talked about it and I know people get really sensitive around here when I say it. I mean, this team's lucky to be four and two. They probably should be two and four, you know. And actually, if the Raiders make a few plays, they're they're, they're one and five. But I'll give them the Raiders game. But the Browns game, uh, the Browns game, the Ravens game. You know what? Those two games are two games that come to mind where it's kind of like they probably they, they should have lost those games if if those two teams didn't play stupid and and make so many mistakes. So my point is. It's good that you keep winning. And there's something to be said. I wrote about it the other day. There's something to be said for about the winning gene or knowing how to win games and all that other stuff. But there are certain things that just aren't sustainable. And allowing receivers to have big big yardage every week and, and be free running through your secondary every week, that doesn't seem like it's sustainable to me. I agree, Paul. Um, we're going to get into some more local sports topics here after a quick break to thank a couple more sponsors, Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg, Persky, and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or visit gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. Also want to thank Propel Schools. Propel's 13 public charter schools in Allegheny County build a solid academic foundation for lifelong learning and offer more personalized instruction at every level during your child's kindergarten through 12th grade education journey. Give your children the quality, quality education they deserve. Learn more and apply at Propel Schools by visiting propelschools.org. Um, Paul, the big game outside of the Steelers this week was Penn State against Ohio State. Penn State comes up small once again in Columbus. James Franklin's now 1-9 and nine against the Buckeyes. There's been some calls for for his ouster by, by Penn State. <laughs> And saying, listen, this guy's hit his ceiling. He can't beat the teams that you need to beat um, to get to the national championship level, to get to the college football playoff. What I've said and, and will continue to say is this is a guy who I think can get you into the 12-team playoff, and maybe one of these years you line up with a path that does not include Ohio State, that does not include some of these teams that you match up poorly against. Um, you know, they, He's beaten Utah in, in a Rose Bowl. He's beaten Washington in a Fiesta Bowl. He's beaten Memphis, a team you might see in the in the playoff in a Cotton Bowl. He can win some big games. It's just not against these teams. I'd like to see him get that chance in the in the coming years. But Paul, how many how many years do you wait now on James Franklin if you're Penn State, or or has Penn State hit its 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 zenith as a program? Is this the ceiling for them? Uh, I don't believe it's a ceiling, but I also don't believe that the people that run Penn State particularly care. Uh, I don't. I don't think winning a national championship is a priority with Penn State, the administration. I think they're, you know, tickled pink that as long as he keeps winning, winning 10, 11 games, going to a good bowl game, he's got one hundred and ten thousand people coming to watch the, the season every single year. 
And to your point, is it next year when the 12 team playoff starts or is it two years? Next, next year. year. They're going to be in the 12 team playoff, you know, probably three out of five years, if not four out of five years. So there's, you know, the, the idea if, if, if it was still going to be a four team playoff, right, for the next 10 years, I might entertain the idea, well, you know what he's doing, you know, you're leaving money on the table every year or whatever, however you want to say it. But they're going to be a playoff team almost every year. I mean, he's got the program rolling where they, they recruit as well as anybody. They generally do not lose games they're not supposed to lose. He gets 10 wins every year, right? And the thing about it is, um, in in some years he's gonna he's gonna be you know have that breakthrough and split maybe maybe not Ohio State but all you gotta do is beat Michigan there'll be some years we probably won't have them both on the schedule no way- years, I, I don't think there's any year that they have both of them on the schedule right so so the bottom line is you know he's gonna win 10 11 games every year regardless of what people want to say you know is that is, is that good enough um, again like your to your point. You get into the 12-team playoff, right? I mean, where are they at right now? 10? Yeah. Something like 10? I mean, let's say they're 10. You know, what? that would put them against the, what, the 6? Right? No. Yeah, 12-team, 12 would play 5, so uh, 11 would play 6, right? 10 mm-hmm. would play 7. Okay. I mean, we're talking about, what, a third, a second or third place team from the SEC? Or, you know... Uh, uh, maybe even a group of five team that's undefeated. I mean, you mean to tell me he can't win that game? Uh, so my point is uh, calls for James Franklin's head are, are, are silly because, A, what he's doing, I'm sure Penn State is happy with, the administration there. Uh, they, you know, they, 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 they understand football pays the bills, but they don't strike me. They never have as an administration – that is, you know, all in to try and go out and, you know, be a, a football superpower. You know, as long as they're winning, the kids are staying out of trouble. They get 110,000 people to come to say, you know, Happy Valley, you know, seven, eight times a year, whatever it is. I think what he's doing is fine. And the 12-team playoff uh, makes it even less likely that they would be willing to make a move because he's going to be in the 12-team playoff. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, as we learned in the NFL playoffs, you just kind of got to get in the tournament to have a chance. And and I, I think that's been Penn State's big problem, too, is you take the slots against Ohio State, what, this was week seven? Years past, they take it in week four, and, and you're out of the picture already. You're not the team you're going to be at the end. I think about that 2016 team that had two losses before it really kicked into gear. I would have loved to see that team in a 12-team playoff. I think they were one of the best teams in the country at that point. Um, the The – also, like what was last season when they went to the Rose Bowl? That team by the end of the season was really, really good um, and explosive. It was just it didn't look the same as that 2016 group, but I think it could have beaten a, some better teams. So I think if you get to detour around Ohio State, more possibility opens up, and I would not throw that possibility away with a guy you know can get there. But I also understand people's frustration, Paul. And if you're going 10 wins every year and you really have no shot to win a national championship, how long are you getting 110,000? Um, fans in, in the seats? How, how long are you getting those recruiting classes if they don't really believe that you can deliver? And uh, something I'm going to talk about with Seth Engel on our, our Penn State podcast is even if the recruiting is better than it was under Joe Paterno, it's still kind of not where it needs to be to win a national championship. You're not getting Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and we saw that that was the difference on Saturday. So um, 
a lot more Penn State talk coming uh, soon. We want to get to a couple of other topics as well. Um, Paul, is, th- is there anything worth saying about Pitt at this point? After those- <laughs> or, or have we kind of reached the end of the road with them other than just kind of waiting to see if they can develop? The only, the the only thing I'll say about Pitt is this. It looks like they have their quarterback of the future. He's pretty good. This kid is pretty good. I'm not sure that he has the right offensive coordinator calling plays. I'm not sure he has the right head coach to allow him to become the quarterback he can be because, you know, you got a defensive-minded head coach who is going to um, – uh, who's going to uh, – uh, always be on the conservative side. But if he looks at what Mark Whipple did with Kenny Pickett and he allows whoever, I, I'm assuming it's probably the end of the, of the road for Frank Signetti. If he brings in an, an offensive coordinator that really understands, you know, explosive offense and college offense. I mean, to me, this kick, I think the sky's the limit. So um, the season is lost. And there's not much to say about this season other than they may have found their quarterback of the future. And I think that kid's pretty good. But, of course, when you have five losses and you still have Notre Dame, Florida State, and Duke on your schedule, uh, you ain't getting to a bowl game. So, you know, what, what's the purpose of, of watching the rest of the season where I just told you? Just see how this kid develops. I know you wanted to talk about the World Series, Paul. Uh, last week we talked about how the Phillies were mashing, how they were fun to watch, how the Pirates could never win like that in the postseason, and then they promptly lost four out of five to the Diamondbacks yeah. to not make the World Series. An 84-win Diamondbacks team. The uh, the the various uh, Twitter accounts that are influenced by the Pirates are out there telling anyone who will listen, oh, the Pirates aren't that far, 84 wins. Diamondbacks lost, what, a gajillion games two years ago. Now they're in the World Series. Anything can happen. Um, I th- here's what I think will happen, Paul. Maybe they do make the World Series, and then they change the format because they cannot tolerate an 84 Pirates, you know, 84 yeah. win Pirates team in the World Series. Well, I mean, again, <laughs> I mean, this, 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 this thing is um, – the biggest thing about Major League Baseball, uh, uh, Major League Baseball postseason, is that you have a short series. A lot can happen. I mean, we've seen even like in small samples. You know, the Pirates had some really good series against some of the best teams. In fact, they they swept a couple of the really you know the really good teams. They had a stretch. Uh, was it in like May or whenever it was where they where they won like. Uh, seven out of nine against three of the best teams in the league. I forget when that was, but the thing about the Phillies is they uh, live by the home run, you die by the home run. They just weren't able to manufacture enough runs. Those last two games especially, uh, they couldn't manufacture runs, whereas that's that's what the Diamondbacks do. Uh, the, other, the other thing is their best pitchers – their best pitchers let them down. Uh, at the end, at the end of the day, they had a formula to, to, to win, and they should have won. You got two top of the line starters. You got a bunch of guys that hit home runs. The, the problem is, you had too many guys that, when they weren't hitting home runs, were complete and utter uh, no shows. And that's a formula, which is why you know you see teams like the Phillies go through slumps during the season. 
you know, where they're not scoring any runs because it's just not sustainable to keep hitting home runs at the rate that they were. So the biggest issue they had is they just had too many, too many outs in their lineup when, you know, they weren't able to hit home runs. But the interesting thing now is you've got Texas against Arizona. I can't imagine what the ratings are going to be for that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly, Adam, if you walked out on the street right now and and pulled a hundred people, could they tell you five players that are going to be involved in this World Series? Probably not. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and, and that's never a good thing. Um, you know, the Phillies. I thought the Phillies against the Rangers could be fun, but Arizona against the Rangers will be different. It'll be a fun game too because Arizona. You know, they have a formula that wins, which is basically they've been really good. Their bullpen's been really good. And you know what? They manufacture runs. They grind out runs. You know, they hit some home runs, but at the end of the day, they string together hits. And, you know, they've got some speed. They run base to base well. Um, They play good defense. Should be a great series. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and, you know, Paul, I think this is where Major League Baseball fails in terms of marketing is that you have like Garcia for Texas was was awesome, right? He should be a household name. More people should know who he is. To tell Marte was one of the best players in the entire postseason for Arizona, um, you know, how much how much marketing force have you put behind him? They just they just focus so much of the talk on the on the big market teams. That when you have an outcome like this, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna hurt the World Series because no one knows who these guys are, even though they're worth talking about. And, and I'm you know I'm excited to see this series, even if no one else is, because um, you know I think these teams have been intriguing and interesting. So um, I th- I looked at as that more of a fail on on Major League Baseball's part than I do on these teams. I think there's a lot to be excited about. Paul, I'll get you out of here on this. Do the Penguins stink, or are they just figuring it out with this bottom six right now? I think they are a team that is not uh, is not nearly as good as we thought they were. They look slow still. Uh, they're still trying to play a style of hockey that does not fit their talent. They uh, probably right now, um, you know, I think they could probably rearrange some things with their with their power play and make it better. Uh, their bottom six, we thought they made it better. So far, they haven't made it better. Um, I'm just going to say I think they'll have stretches where they play well, but they're just the, still the same flawed team they've been the last four or five years. You can't be anything different if you are still deferring to your three-man core who, oh, by the way, is a year older now. And, you know, again, at times they're going to be brilliant because it's still those three guys. At other times they're going to look slow. And they're going to look like a team that's playing a style of hockey they cannot play. So it's it's what it is, man. I, I It doesn't shock me. I think they'll be a playoff team. They'll probably you know be able to slide into the playoffs. They'll figure some things out. They've always been pretty good at that. But, I mean, this is who they are. And you're not going to change your roster significantly when you still have the same three guys your roster is built around. Paul, did you watch any of the Frozen Frenzy on ESPN? I did not. I, I turned it on. I flipped it on, and then I saw PK PK Subban cooking, and I was like, "This is not NFL Red Zone." So I'm <laughs> paying attention. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there before we go. Everyone else, stay tuned. We're gonna have more Steelers talk on the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter on Friday and Saturday, getting ready, getting you ready for uh, Steelers versus Jaguars. Paul will be back on Sunday for our Steelers live stream after the game. 
I will be in New York City celebrating my brother's wedding. Uh, so Christopher Dell will be in this seat, but still plenty of good Steelers talk. Make sure you check it out. Um, and we'll talk to you again soon, Paul. All right. Thank you. We'll see you. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.